Okay, what we're going, I'm Stan Rowland, and I've been involved with a program called Community Health Evangelism for 35 years. And about five years ago, and any of you heard Community Health Evangelism? It's basically a program that works overseas. We're working in 95 countries of the world, working in about 4,500 villages through different, about 350 organizations. CHE is a strategy to help people take more responsibility for their own life, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and socially, and then as an interconnected group, transform the village that they live live in. And about five, all of our work has been, this thing's not working. I don't see any light on it, so I don't know if the battery's dead or whatever. Or did I not press, oh, you just got to press the right button. Okay. 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 (laughs) Okay. Um, about five years ago, we began to, when I stepped out of the leadership of the international side, I began to, began to talk about how can we apply what we've been doing overseas in all of these countries and villages and neighborhoods internationally to work with the urban poor here. And from that, came a program that we changed the name from Community Health Evangelism to Neighborhood Transformation. Same thing, but Neighborhood Transformation. And and I went through Neighborhood Transformation yesterday. What I want to talk about, though, is transforming a city from the inside out, a little bit broader picture. And why should we be concerned? Now, how many of you are planning to work in a urban, or are working, in an urban, disadvantaged, or underserved neighborhood? Any of you? Okay. So, this is, and so the basic question is, why should we become involved in the city, the historical place of the city going all the way back, in time, is to, it provides safety and security. It provides a place for sacred activity. In other words, that's where the gods are worshipped. That's where the big temples are, you know, etc. It provides oper- economic opportunities far greater than in a village. Now, interesting statistics. Maybe you know these, maybe you don't. This year, 2010 the number of people living in urban settings over 1 million for the whole world became greater than the number of people living in rural villages. Flip-flopped. Now, that sounds like it's a big movement. It's been a steady, steady, steady growth rate with people moving from rural areas going into the urban settings. By 2015, 70% of the world will be living in those cities. Today, there are about 200 of those cities. What country holds most of those cities over a million population? Hmm? China. China, yep. But by 2015, there will be over 1,450 cities 
over one million population. So our whole world is shifting from rural to urban. And two-thirds of those cities will be in what's called the developing world. The South, there are all kinds of names for it. The majority world versus, we're really minority world developed. Now, why do we need cities? Cities really have a transforming effect on people. This is where the creative center for connections, conversations, and transactions take place. It's not in the villages. It's in the cities. It's where all the thinkers and creativity congregates to. It helps people live much more efficiently and productively. The cities are valued by God. Have any of you, I think it's Robert Lithcomb's stuff and some people like that really have shown that the theological heart of God is really city. And all the early Christian movements began in cities. Where did Paul go? Where did he go? What were some of those seven major cities? Do you remember? Corinth, Ephesus. Those were all major cities. They were trade centers. They were the center of everything. So cities is where the action is. When we talk about a village, there's the word community in the word. There are two words in the word community. What, what two words do you see? Common and unity. And when you talk, how long have people lived in a village? How many of you have been overseas? And particularly, say, to a, a rural village in Asia or Africa or Latin America? How long have people lived in those villages? Generations, haven't they? And who lives around them? Family. family extended family we talk about. And some the extensions get out, but there's a lot of family. And when people have needs in that village, where do they go? They go to the family. And if there's a church, they go to the local church there. And so that, so we say a, villi- a definition from a village standpoint is a geographical place where people live, to, live together, hold many things in common, have a sense of belonging. This is my place. And they know each other. In other words, I know you're in my village and you aren't. Even though you look the same, you aren't part of the village. So there is that bind, right? Bond, not bind, bond. Now, let's talk about how are the cities different? How is a city? Take any city. Take Nairobi. Take Louisville. Take Chicago. How is a city different than that definition? There's a lot more diversity. Okay. Why? Um, just people from different backgrounds moving into the yeah. city without shared 
Okay, so they're people that are moving from very diverse backgrounds. What else? Crowded, yeah. Okay, they're pockets of ethnic groupings in general, or pocket, but there are also in a city, the cities in the U.S. have defined neighborhoods. It's not by zip code necessarily, because nobody knows what, you know, but it might be, do any of you know what neighborhood you live in, where you live? Yeah, in other words, we know. And so there are defined, but even though, so they're coming to the city, how long do they intend to stay in this place where I am right now? How many of you have lived in your place over five years? That's pretty good. Well, yeah, that's not bad. Same house over five years, same apartment. Okay. How many of you anticipate you'll be in the same place in five years? Nobody? <laughs> Maybe. Okay. <laughs> we'll see how things go. <laughs> but that's the point. People come from all over and they don't expect to stay there. They're, I use the word transient. That kind of implies they're moving all the time, but that's there's no permanence there. How many of you know the name of take five housing unit five houses or apartments that are right near you, right around you. In other words, your house is here, here's the front yard, house across the street, here's the backyard, you know, whatever. Or how many of you know the names of all the people in one of those units. Okay, not bad. How many know two? Three. Well, we got some aggressive go-outers here. <laughs> Very good. In 95% of most of the cities, people don't know that. How many of you grew up in the suburbs? With houses and garage door openers. And you come in, you press your button half a block down, your door opens, you go in. You press the button and it goes down. If you do activities, where do you do activities? Backyard. Backyard. But where are the neighbors? Backyard too, aren't they? Once in a while, there's some... In a village, where are the neighbors? Outside. Outside. In the... Right there. In the... In the what would be considered the streets, the front yard, the, all around. So there's a very different setting. Now, I'll give you two interesting statistics. One, how, anybody from Minneapolis here? No Minneapolis? Ah, oh, we got one. Okay. In one neighborhood in Minneapolis called the Phillips neighborhood, 
an, a geography that's two square miles, 17,000 population. How many languages do you think are spoken there? A lot. How about 125? Now, I think of Minneapolis as nice, white, Swede, Norwegian, you know. Did you say in two square miles? Two square miles, 17,000 population. Now, I just heard this statistic. I used this earlier. And, and I don't know which neighborhood it is. But here in Louisville, in one neighborhood, there are 92 languages spoken. Salt Lake City. Everybody thinks that's lily white. Even the people that live in Salt Lake City. 110 within one square mile surrounded by freeways. So, your thing on diversity is right on. It's very, very diverse. People are from all over. They're generally temporary. There is no sense of community. Why? Why is there no sense of community? Hmm? They don't know each other. So if you don't know each other at all, then there's no sense. And so therefore, when you have needs in the city, whether you're rich or poor, where do you go for help? Professionals. Right? Now, professionals, if we're middle class, we go pay for it. If we're poor, we go to the city or the nonprofits. But it's still professionals doing things for us. And very importantly, there's no safety net because you go to those professionals because you don't have extended family. You don't know your neighbors, right? So therefore, you're in deep trouble. You're dependent on others. So there's no safety net in the cities, generally. Now, people, there is a tendency, particularly in first-generation immigrants, to live, to try and get together. Any of you work with refugees? In a refugee resettlement program, typically there's a resettlement agency in that town or two. They move everybody together for about six months and fund them and help them get started. But then the rent goes up to a more normal rate and most of the people then migrate out to where people like them are. Whether it's Somali, in Minneapolis, one apartment complex has over a thousand Somalis in it. Another one has 1,500. I mean, it's entire. When we lived in Modesto, California, which is not really much of a city, but we, back in the 80s, the Hmong from Vietnam and Laos and that area was the big refugee. We had one apartment complex that had 1,450 Hmong living in it. It wasn't because they were resettled there, but that's where you migrate to. But they really are not a community yet. They do speak the same language, if it's Hmong. Uh, if in a complex in Minneapolis, there's 800 Ethiopians, but there are multiple tribes. Mm-hmm. Now, 
with Somalis, I used to say Somalis were all one tribe. I lived in Kenya and we worked with Somalis. That was the stupidest thing I could have said. <laughs> they don't have tribes, but they have clans, which is just as diverse as tribes are. Anyway, so the, and secondly, a city like Philadelphia, like New York, like Chicago, they aren't a community. It's way too big, but we do have neighborhoods. So what are we what needs to be done? What we really need to begin to do is begin to know each other. If we want to recreate a village in an urban setting, there's some things that you want to begin to think about. How can we get people to know each other? What are some activities if you were living in a neighborhood? what would be some activities that you might do to begin to get people to know each other? What would you do? Mm -hmm. Okay, a cookout would be one. As I'm walking the street, I would begin to introduce myself. Hey, I'm Stan. I live somewhere. (laughs) What's your name? Oh, I got three kids. How many, you know, so just... Very informal. You start with name. You start walking the street. But the whole idea is how can we begin to get to know each other? Now, us that are middle classers, that's hard to do. How do you guys feel when somebody comes knocking on your door? (laughs) You go hide, you, you you ignore them. What do you want? Boom. <laughs> but there are some techniques that you can use that help break that down. But the key is you want to begin to get people to know each other. Secondly, you want to begin to recreate some kind of safety net, not necessarily by kinship or even by tribe. You want people to begin to see that they have intrinsic value. And you begin to tell your story. Who are you? Tell me your story. And you begin to learn. The key in anything, whether it's here in the U.S. or whether it's overseas, is the big R word. Relationships, relationships, relationships. Now, how do we go about building this type of village? When you go into a poor neighborhood, what do you see? Bad stuff, normally, don't we? Graffiti, cars, crime, drug houses. We see the bad stuff. But you know what? Every person living in every house, even if they're homeless, has assets and skills. They have wisdom, skills, and assets. And we have to help, but they're generally lonely. So we want to create ways to, so people can connect. People are very, very resourceful that are poor. 
They're more resourceful than us middle classers are. And we need to begin to care for each other. Now, this I'm not going to spend there about what causes poverty? Lack of money? Uh uh-uh. uh. Yes, that's one small element, and that's what we see, but that's not it. One says, Chambers says that it's a it's physical, it's entanglements, it's vulnerability. Has anybody read uh, Chambers stuff? He's done some his primary a lot of his stuff has been done related to overseas work. Friedman? You know Friedman? The End of Poverty? The guy that uh, he's written, uh, 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 Thomas Friedman? He wrote a book. Well, he, he's a well-known Nobel. No, Nobel? Not Nobel. One of the most recognized writers, I don't know, if we, from a newspaper standpoint. Hmm? I'm sorry. Yeah, Pulitzer, that's the one. <laughs> I knew it wasn't Nobel. Anyway, and he's saying it's, it relates primarily to economic things. Brant Myers, any of you guys hear of him? Uh, a very, very good theologian, practitioner, very strong Christian, worked for World Vision for a number of years, but now is with Fuller Seminary. Basically says poverty is a series of broken relationships. If you haven't read, if you want to deal and get a background for development, Brant Myers walk, Walking with the Poor, Working with the Poor. He has two, Walking and Working. And it's his second book, Working with the Poor, is a very good textbook written in 99. Other people say it's really a combination of systems that are all interrelated. Well, I that's good, but I'm a practitioner. That's up here. I'm interested in what do you do on the street, in the neighborhood. So, Urban J is somewhat different. As I said before, J, Community Health Evangelism, is a strategy that's being used in 95 countries of the world, about 4,500 villages by about 350 different mission groups, churches, and denominations. But it's somewhat different, though the principles are identical, but it's somewhat different than we do rurally because of what we talked about, the difference between a rural Village and an urban setting. Well, one, we changed the name to Neighborhood Transformation. Community Health Evangelism. Overseas, CHE was started in Africa. And we wanted to be in people's face that this included physical and spiritual. And Community Health Evangelism came out of the weird organization called Campus Crusade for Christ. You know. Four laws of evangelism follow up the heart. And, but 
it had some wrong um, connotations here. Now, working overseas, if you were going to apply what I'm teaching here, say in Lome, say in Brasilia, we call it urban shake. We don't use the neighborhood transformation. Okay, what is the focus in transforming a city? You start by transforming individuals. Transformation begins with you and you and you. Who knows uh, Luke 10, 27, love God? Yeah, but there's, yeah, that's the hooker one. Love your neighbor as yourself. The first part says love God with all your heart, mind, body, and strength. And then the curveball says you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. How, who do you love the most? Really, you know, we could spiritualize, but it, we love ourselves. So what do you do for yourself? Does that mean I just go around and share the four laws with you so you can come to know Jesus? That's an important element. Or I just teach you how to earn a living? That's an element. Or I teach you how to keep your kids healthy and how to get rid of diarrhea with ORS? That's an element. But they're all elements. And the whole key is to integrate a holistic approach. We spell, we talk about neighborhood transformation being holistic. How do you spell holistic? How does the, how does the dictionary spell holistic? H-O-L, coming from the word holy, which it is. But we spell it with a W. Whole person, whole community. Whole. Everything whole. So the first starts with individuals and then, and you work in a given geographic neighborhood, and we'll talk a little bit about how you identify that neighborhood and what do you do. And then you begin to network neighborhood one with neighborhood two, with neighborhood three, with neighborhood four, and you form them into a network, and they then begin to have impact on Louisville or in Philadelphia. We don't start up here and work down. We start down here and work up. We're doing a training next week here in Louisville, and I know of at least six different, six or seven different neighborhoods that will have people here to learn how to do this. They'll start out, though, working in their individual neighborhoods. And once they get going, then we'll hook them up. About 18 months. Churches are hard to work with. <laughs> to get them to work with each other. To get them to work by themselves, yeah. So, we don't try and do that. Until they really find the need. Oh, you're doing this in that neighborhood? Oh, are you learning it? Oh, you're, you're learning that. Hey, maybe I can learn something from you. And so it's that type of approach. It starts with, and the first year or two, and then continually is built 
on finding out about people. Because if you don't know who your people are, and I don't mean aggregately, so you could say 200 people are Norwegian, 200 are in this poverty line, but knowing them eyeball to eyeball. I know your name. I know something about you. You know my name. You know something about me. Relationship, relationship, relationship. Since most people don't even know neighbors' names, we need to find ways to get, uh, find, find new ways to find out about people, groups, and organizations. There is a system, an approach called ABCD, Asset-Based Community Development. Do I have any social workers in this crowd? ABCD was developed at Northwestern University in the 60s by a guy named John McKnight. And it was during those organizing days. And it's all about finding out about the assets of people. What assets are found in people? Everyone has assets. Let me ask a question. What are some of the things that you like to do individually that you like to do with your hands? What are some things? Pop them out. Popcorn. Cooking. Cooking, yeah. What else? Crafts. Hmm? Play guitar. Guitar, yeah. What else? Crafts. Crafts. What else? Gardening. Writing? Gardening. Gardening, yeah. What else? Making balloons. Okay, yeah. What else? Pardon? Okay. So people have skills. I walk dogs. I take care of kids. In other words, I've done that. I can do that. Everybody, no matter what their IQ is, no matter what their economic level is, no matter what their color is, no matter if they're rich or poor, all has individual skills. Let me ask a second one. What knowledge do you have that might be useful to a neighbor? What knowledge? What's healthy to eat, what's good. Okay, yeah, in other words, I could teach people about nutrition. Or you mentioned you could play the guitar. Could you teach somebody to play a guitar? That's not always the case, but I mean, but so... What else? What are some other things that you know? I've had people say, I know how to beat the the city system. (laughs) Very, very, very important. I know where to, I know where they serve breakfast every morning because, you know, that's knowledge. That's useful to the neighborhood. And then there's a third question. What really turns your crank? What are you passionate about? What really excites you? What are some things that ex- other than your spouse? What, what, hopefully. What excites you? What are some things? You guys don't have any passions? Hmm? I'm sorry. Medicine. Medicine, sure. Okay. Good food, absolutely. <laughs> hmm? One guy said the other day, who did he say? New Orleans Saints. <laughs> sports. 
sports, yeah, sports in general. But we're all passionate about something. You have to maybe push a little, but you can begin. And by and then we ask another question. If teaching were done here in this neighborhood, what might you like to learn? What might you now? After we find those lists of things, where who are where might some of those teachers come from? Because you found out their skills, their knowledge, but the other side too is we have developed over 35 years of doing this a database of about 4,000 lessons all the way from how do you take care of goats, which isn't going to do. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. There's Somalis in Phoenix that are starting goat raising for other Muslims for for uh, the holidays. Ramadan. Yep. But that would be a very unusual one. <laughs> what else? So we find out what people want to do, and then we begin to hook them together based around their personal self-interest to learn what they want to do. So it's all about walking the street. You become a street walker for God. To begin to get to know people. You also, in every group, in every group, there are informal associations that are in every neighborhood. Do any of you get together with somebody in your neighborhood on a semi-regular basis to do something? And it's not necessarily to convert the community or... Anybody? What do you do? Uh, eat together. Yeah, there's a group of you that eat together regularly. That's an informal group. What else? Mm-hmm. Um, once a week when I get together with friends, we play cards together. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. We just get together and let our kids play together. Yes, yeah, we have down at the end of my, dra- of, of my street, it's not a cul-de-sac, but it almost is, about four, five moms when it's not 110 degrees out, do that. Mm-hmm. We used to do bonfires in the summer when I was younger. Okay, bonfires in the summer. Yeah, get together and sing. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay, walk the dog. And what do you do when you walk the dog? You greet people. You hopefully clean up after it. But <laughs> Okay. Yeah, so... There are many informal groups that are in your neighborhood that you want to begin to find out about and become part of. In some, in many cities, there are official neighborhood associations that have been formed for the betterment of that particular neighborhood. So you want to find, you want to build on what's already there. You want to become known. Now, We focus on assets, not needs. Now, you guys are all medical people, and you've all been taught to to identify what are the needs of a kid. You do needs assessment, right? That's good, but there's a better way. How about doing asset assessment? 
Focus on what's there. And why do we say that's critical? When you focus on needs, I have a need. I need my, uh, I need a thousand dollars. I tell you that need, and who do I expect then to give me the thousand dollars? You. Or overseas, people will say, well, we have a need. We need bicycles. You're going to get them for us, right? And so when we focus on needs, we end up focusing doing things for people. What are examples of doing things for people here in the city that a church might do, that a clinic might do? Hmm? Cleanups. Closed distribution. Pardon? Feed the homeless. Feed the homeless. Driving people okay, drive people place. Those are at dip. You're doing things, but they're different, a little bit different levels. But you do things for people. There's nothing wrong with that. If you do other things, if that's all you do, and that's all your group does. You're building dependency. Needs focus. When we focus on needs, we seek to fix current problems, and we generally have a one-size-fits-all attitude because that's the easiest thing to do. And we're always focusing on what's missing. But when we focus on what's there, you focus on People doing things for themselves, not you doing things for them. You seek what the Lord has for that neighborhood, but who has to identify what needs to be done in that neighborhood? You as the hot dog from outside? If that's what we're used to doing, we're the professionals, we can see, and if you knew what needed to be done, you would have done it. But what happens when you do that? You may have a nice project, but what happens when the thing breaks down or the money runs out? And so the whole key is to build on what the people want to do and build on what's already present. Secondly, or not Next slide is that when you focus on needs, we end up providing services, but when we focus on assets, it's all about connecting. Connecting people, connecting resources, connecting groups, connecting, connecting. And many times when we focus on needs, we focus on programs. I've got the greatest microenterprise program. I've got the greatest uh, community health worker program. I've got the great uh, sector. But when you focus on assets, you focus on people. Now that's very hard for many of us Westerners. We're much more focused on things. Okay. The whole key is when we do focus on needs, there's a very, not always, but there's a very, very strong tendency to foster dependency on outsiders or professionals. You're going to do it for me. I don't have to do anything. In, in medicine, 
there's a big push, finally, for prevention, right? Heart problems, diabetes, all of these things. Can the doc fix them? Can the medical system fix them? Sometimes, I mean, you know, when they get to certain, but they could have been prevented in the first place. We do an exercise in the village that brings that one out. What we're all about is reinstituting neighbor helping neighbor. Because since people don't know each other, nor do they have relationships, they've lost their safety net and, and they're dependent on professionals, this makes them consumers. And what we're trying to do is to help them become citizens again. Take back control of their own life and take back control of their neighborhood. I'm not going to do that. There are three ways to help people. Relief, betterment, and development. That's river crossing story is a drama that demonstrates that. Relief is when we do something for people. What would be what might be some relief activities that might be done out of your local church? You've mentioned a few already. Okay, that's yeah. Help them paint or do the painting for them. Help them implies they're going to help. You're going to do it together. If you're doing it for, and it depends. I mean, they're. Closed closets, feeding the hungry, those are all doing things for people. Betterment is where you come alongside somebody to help them for a period of time. What help them improve their life? What would be some betterment activities that churches might do? Job training. Pardon? Job training. Job training. Perfect example. Mm-hmm. What else? Help build a house because... The person who you're building the house with is putting in sweat equity, too. You're coming alongside. Tutoring kids. In other words, it's generally under a year you're coming alongside somebody to help them with the idea that it will get them out. We do, not us, uh, in Phoenix there's a group called Open Table. They take somebody that's been on welfare that really wants to get off They surround them by ten people from the church with different backgrounds, a teacher, uh, a lawyer, and they get to know each other, and they meet regularly, and they help that person get a job, improve their health, uh, so that they become functioning people, fully functioning people. Development is where you help the participants become multipliers. Any of you know 2 Timothy 2.2? Two, two? Okay, and who's saying that to whom? Okay, so Paul's saying, I found you, you're faithful, and now you need to find other faithful people who you'll teach, who will apply it, who will then find... Somebody else. Development is where you begin to get into the multiplication mode. And in the Timothy example, it's four generations. Now, we work primarily... Well, I'm going to quit here. I've got five minutes left, so I'll see if you have any 
burning. Not how-tos, but basically what this is, in approach to ministry, we primarily work through churches. We go, we a middle-class church, how many of you have heard of CCDA, Christian Community Development Association? Great organization. Part of their credo is that if you're really going to serve the poor, you have to live where they're at, move into the neighborhood. And that's great. I I love that when I find that. But most churches today don't live, people don't live in those neighborhoods. Most churches today are commuter churches. Do any of you go to house churches? Okay. House And is your house church from people in the neighborhood or from people across multiple? Okay. That's a real house church, a community church. But 90% of most traditional churches are commuter churches. They don't live in the neighborhood of the church. And so what we do, we find, or churches find us, who are interested in beginning to do more development things, more things that begin to transform individuals. Giveaways don't do it. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Stan, I'm sorry I missed this, but but who is we? Neighborhood Transformation, a group of us. You got a ministry? You got a website? Yes. Should be there. How's that? <laughs> and it's called basically what it is, it's it's an extension of community health evangelism that's being done in ninety five eight uh, countries of the world, as I said, but it's a network. We are we neighborhood transformation. We're a virtual series of people that are spread at this point around 12 cities here in the U.S. and who want to see transformation in neighborhoods. And if any of you are interested, the website www.neighborhoodtransformation.net is an information-laden website. Uh, there's PowerPoints on the home page. There's a PowerPoint. There's a full description called Neighborhood Transformation Overview. On the Learn tab, there's all kind. There's about ten different videos, five-minute videos that kind of get after some of these. They're principle videos, not uh, about principles type of thing. And so then we have a Facebook. And then we have a blog. I have a blog called Urban Che Guy. And so Neighborhood Transformation is the organization. Collaborative for Neighborhood Transformation is the organization that's spearheading this particular version of Neighborhood Transformation. And it is an approach. So... Any of you that are interested in the in okay, how does this dumb thing work? <laughs> or what do we do? It's too late now. <laughs> Tomorrow or Monday, we're doing a one week, a five day training here, where key people from different cities are coming to say, how do we really get at this? And the main reason it was started, this church, Southeast Christian 
wants to begin to use this strategy in about six or eight test neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. How long do you see it typically starting to make a difference? So Good question. How long before you see some changes? This is not McDonald's. This is development. So, probably, okay, individuals, you see individuals coming to Christ and some changes. Probably the first year will drive you up the wall. Because you're all doers in this room. If you're medical people, you... But the first year is Bill is finding who's doing what. You aren't going to see much, quote, people coming to Christ, people changing their physical. It's about the second or third year you'll begin to see people, and about the third year you'll begin to see a few neighborhoods things. And you have to figure five years. Yep. First, you don't show them you got resources. <laughs> That's the. I'm not being facetious. I had a friend, Dr. Sorley, David Sorley, who moved into Uganda back in 1980, same time we did. He didn't tell anybody he was a doctor for a year and a half. Because he wanted to build the relationships. Now, I'm not saying you should do that, but the point is when you, that they are, are all expecting you to give. You're a Christian. And so, therefore, the key is to begin to get to know people. Don't, and you start with one on one. And so, it's not going in and presenting a big program. We really, we're looking for neighborhood associations to participate in, but not go in and lay our plan on the table. We just go in and get to be known. And we ask these asset prop questions all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, what it means is finding out what skills people have. Underwater basket weaving, walking the dog, etc., etc. Putting them into a database and asking the same group, what would you like to learn? And then starting with a teaching for the three or four people that want to learn how to walk their dog. So it's focusing. And then... We present it to the neighborhood about a year, year and a half down the line, and we do a thing called appreciative inquiry, which is all about, tell me about this neighborhood. What's the history of the neighborhood in a group setting? But that's the first. That's a year, year and a half down the line. And then what's your vision? It's time to go. It's 10-2, and the next guy needs to set up. But if you have questions...